be perfectly frank with you, I didn't expect so many of you to show up tonight. I'm glad, though. <laughs> I had uh, I'd said that people typically have plans during the holiday season, and people would be out of town, out of state. Glad to see everyone here tonight. Amen. It is so good to be here together in the presence of God. Amen. Let's all stand. Oh, before we get started, thank you, everybody that had anything to do with Sunday's dinner. Thank you so very much. What a delicious meal that was. Amen. And a good time of fellowship. Sister Bell won the prize. Our resident thief. <laughs> Yeah, he had to be there. That, that was the game. Stealing stealing presents. I'm just mad because I didn't get to steal anything. Amen. It was fun, though. Games were good. Fellowship was awesome. Thank you, all of you that, that were there. It was a good time. A very good time. Amen. Let's turn to the Lord now. Let's ask Him to bless our service, to speak to us, that His will would be accomplished. Amen. Jesus, we are so very thankful for you and for this opportunity you've given us this evening to enter into the very throne room of Almighty God, to hear your, the very word of the Lord, the revelation of who you are, the revelation of truth. Thank you, Jesus, that you have entrusted your word with us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to receive it tonight. Help us to accomplish all of your heart, all of your desire, all of your will. Help us, Lord, to give glory to God tonight, to worship and to praise you in spirit and in truth, to seek your face. Hallelujah, Jesus. To entertain your presence and to minister unto you tonight with our worship and with our praise and with our giving of thanks. Hallelujah, Jesus. With our submission and with our obedience to you and to your will for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and for your grace your long-suffering patience to usward. Thank you for your plan for this service this evening. I pray that all of your heart would be manifest here, that all of your purpose would be accomplished in our midst here tonight, that your great and mighty name would be glorified in our midst here. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor to the Most High. We worship and we praise our Creator. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Our God, manifest in flesh, who came down from heaven, who suffered on a cross and died for our sake. Hallelujah, Jesus. I will declare your goodness all my days. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Amen. Ever since I, my family and I moved here, uh, began pastoring here, I have felt in my spirit that revival is coming. And not just for our city, but 
all over. And we've stated that the reason for that, of course, isn't because I'm here now. Uh, It's because it's God's time. Prayers have went up for years and for decades for this city, this county. Men and women who have come before us have prayed and wept and fasted over the city. And we will be the beneficiaries of those prayers. We will, see, we will be the ones that see those come to pass. Not just here, but all over the country, all over the world. Revival is coming. It comes for two reasons. There are two pathways to revival. The first is the one I would really like to see happen, where God's people fall on their face in prayer and in fasting. And seek the face of God until God moves. But there is another pathway to revival. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. That's where we'll take our passage tonight. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. It states this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us... What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Amen. Nothing worthwhile is ever easy. That's kind of a cliche, kind of a truism. But it is, it is most certainly true. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. The hard things, which are also the most important things, the greatest things in life, are things that few people actually attain to. Why? Because the price is too high. If we look at the secular, we look at uh, a businessman, a CEO, or uh, uh, an entrepreneur, If someone's starting a business, a company, starting it from scratch, they got a good idea, they got a talent, and they're going to make a business out of it. If they're really serious about it, it's going to take a little bit more than a good idea and a little bit of money. It's going to take a whole lot of sweat, a whole lot of sacrifice to get that company off the ground. Typical entrepreneurs, if they're serious about starting a business, they're going to be working 12, 16, 18, 20 hours a day 
six to seven days a week. They're not going to be getting paid because they're dumping all the profits back into the company to get it solvent. They sacrifice to make that happen. If it's being bankrolled, hopefully they have enough money to bankroll it out of their own savings, take out a second mortgage, whatever they need to do. Otherwise, loans are available, but they mortgage the future of the business in doing so. An angel investor could come in, but at the cost of selling a part of your business, sometimes a majority stake in your business to get it up and running. They're going to sacrifice relationships. Spouses of an entrepreneur will suffer the greatest because they're gone all the time. They're at work trying to build a company. When they are home, their minds are focused on work, the startup, problems that are, that are coming up. There's always a problem to fix, a fire to put out. They're stressed, they're tired because they're getting four to six hours of sleep a night. And that puts additional strain on the relationship. Financial hardships during the startup process adds to the strain. Time with friends are sacrificed. There's just not enough time to focus on a relationship right now. Their relationship is the business. They get no sleep. They get very little exercise. They sacrifice sometimes their health. Their eating habits are abysmal. Fast food and the, the drive-thru are their best friends. Because that's all they have time for. They're constantly stressed out. Why? Why would someone go through all of this? That doesn't sound worth it to me. We see the end result. You see someone like Jeff Bezos, richest man in the world. Most powerful company in the world. Man, that, that'd be pretty cool. Whatever else you think about the guy, he went through it trying to get that off the ground. There were a few times where it was going to go under, but he pulled it out. Like I said, whatever else you want to think about him, I don't agree with most anything he does or thinks. But he put in the work and he sacrificed to make something happen. they do it for the money? Certainly that's an aspect of it. But I think more so they want to succeed at something. They want to build something. They want to hand something down to their posterity. They want to be known for something. It's not just money. They're focused on a goal. And they're willing to do anything it takes to accomplish that goal. Consider the athlete. They sacrifice time. Their training becomes their full-time job. Everything else is secondary. They have a very rigorous sleep schedule, eating schedule. Their diets are very rigid, strict. They're going to eat this many calories at this time of day. They need vitamins, minerals at this, these hours of the day. Period. There's no fast food. There's no 
Christmas dinner with family? That's not going to happen. Because I got I got to win this. I got to win this. They can't focus on a career. Their sport is their career. If they're going to be a top-notch athlete. They sacrifice relationships. They sacrifice, uh, well, not their physical health, but their mental health. And they do expose themselves to injuries in the training process, the, comp- the competition. Why? Again, not necessarily the money, but they want to be the best. They want to be the best athlete. They want to succeed at something. They've established a goal in their minds, and they're willing to do what it takes to get there. All through Scripture, we read accounts of individuals who, despite great turmoil and suffering, accomplished the will of God. And I've spoke ad nauseum about these. We've heard them a thousand times. Abraham and Isaac had to sacrifice Isaac. He obeyed. David was anointed king of Israel, but yet he was on the run for years and years living like a vagabond before he finally ascended to the throne. Job. Job was perfect in all of his ways. But he lost everything. How about Nehemiah? And the people with him. In Nehemiah's time, they had been removed from the promised land. They were living in the land of captivity. Second Chronicles 36, 22 and 23 details the end of that exile. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up by the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. And he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. So we see at an appointed time, God pulled his people out of the promised land. That was the will and plan of God. Not his original plan, but that was God's command. And now, at the time appointed, God was sending his people back. By the time Nehemiah enters the scene, they had already been relocated to Jerusalem, but weren't faring very well. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. They said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So the promised land wasn't doing so good. It was completely destroyed. There was nothing there. Rubble. Ruin. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17 and 18, it says this, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come. And let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. 
So this was the goal. This was the plan. This was what they were going to focus on. Rebuilding Jerusalem. Setting up the gates. Building the walls. Zerubbabel was going to rebuild the temple. Ezra was going to come and teach them the law. Everything was going to be reestablished as it was before. God's people have returned to the promised land. And the goal was to rebuild. The Bible says they strengthened their hands and said, yes, let's go and let's work. Let's get this done. Let's accomplish it. This was the plan of God. So, of course, we see that God's plan was hindered. God's enemies came. God's enemies were already present. They were already there, observing, watching. And when they started to work, they started to make progress, they got stirred up. In Nehemiah 2, verse 19 and 20, we read this. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Told them like it was. You have nothing to do with us. Shut your yapper. Move on along. Yep. That's the uh, New Living Translation. (laughs) Newer Living Translation. So we know the account. We know that those working on the walls worked with a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. There were guards posted. Those that weren't working were on guard, watching for the enemy. This was not the most optimal situation. This was not the easiest task to accomplish. The people that were working on this were not the most talented. But that's what they had. That's who volunteered to come. That's who had a desire to work. They did what they had to do to get God's work accomplished. Now this is the first way to revival. Revival is the goal. The salvation of the lost the perfection of the saints, the free movement of the Spirit of God in La Crosse County, the establishment of His kingdom on earth. That's the goal. And the first path to revival is to strengthen our hands and get to work, to pray, to fast, to do what we need to do to follow the plan of God as He moves us forward in this. That's the first path. That's the one I want desperately to come to fruition. But there is another path to revival. 
Brother Parker was talking to me before service about Canada. We need to pray for our brethren in Canada. They are locked down. They are forbidden to meet in churches at this point in time. Don't think for a moment it's going to stay up there. From the time of Emperor Constantine to just very recently in our history, it has been a very good thing, a very profitable thing to be labeled a Christian. It's generally been a good thing for business, a good thing for your social status, to be a Christian. Not anymore. And it's not going to get any better as I see it. Unless God does something, unless this miraculously turns around, it's going to get worse. It's going to become dangerous to profess Christ. As the people of God. Before that time comes, we have a space right now. We have a space right now to prepare, to get ready. To pray and to fast that that never comes to pass here in the United States. That's what I want to do first. Pray for mercy. Humble ourselves before God. Ask for forgiveness for this nation. God can still turn this thing around. He still can. But it will be because of you and me. If it doesn't happen that way, if it continues to get worse then folks, we have got to be prepared to live as part of the persecuted church. Millions of our brothers and sisters already are around the world. They already are. And it's coming here. And all of our unbelief, no, it'll never happen here. All of our hoping, that's going to avail us nothing. It's still coming. When it does, if it does. Folks, we've got to be the church. It doesn't matter what the environment is out there. We are the church of God. And if we are called to suffer persecution, then we are called to suffer persecution. The Bible calls it an honor, a privilege to suffer for His name's sake. We better start seeing it that way. We better start seeing it that way pretty quickly. We've been blessed for so very long here in the United States. As a Christian nation, God's blessing was more or less upon this nation. We've never been a perfect nation, but overtly we have professed Christianity. Now overtly we deny our Savior. We deny the Lord God of heaven. We are following after other gods. 
other doctrines, other philosophies. God is removing his hand from our country. We see it in the weather. We see it in our society. We see it in our government. We see it in the laws that are passed. We see it all across the board. God is removing his hand. But there's still a space, church. He hasn't removed it completely. We still have, a, we still have time to operate, to act, to take action. Like only we can do. Only the church can do what needs to be done. Only the people of God have the power and the authority to do what needs to be done. But the question is, is it worth it? Is the cost worth it? I'm going to cut to the chase here. We're going to pay the price either way. We're going to pay it now, or we're going to pay it later. So the question really is, when do you want to pay the price? How do you want to pay the price? Revival is coming. It's coming. Whether you want it to or not, whether you step aside or or get right in the middle of it, it's coming. It's been prophesied. It's been preached over the pulpit for 50-odd years. The latter rain is coming. Jesus is coming back. Do you want to be involved in that? Do you want a part of that? Is it worth it? Is the price going to be worth it? Because I promise you, the price is probably more than you think it's going to be. But I promise you something else. The reward is so much greater than you think it's going to be. So much greater. I heard someone say one time, and I've lived long enough now to to see that it's absolutely true. He said, if I'd have known everything the Lord was going to take me through when I said yes to Him, I might not have said yes. I'm glad I didn't know then. (laughs) Amen. I'm glad I didn't know. But it's still totally worth it. Totally worth it. The second path to revival is persecution. Exodus 1 and 12 states this, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. This is why I know for a fact revival's coming. Not just the prophesying, not just the the sermons and the preaching, not even the, the what I feel in prayer. All of that. But persecution is coming. If we don't do something, persecution is coming. And when that happens, revival is shortly going to follow up right after that. It's going to follow. The church is going to grow by leaps and bounds. It grows best in times of persecution. And that's not what we want to hear. And that's not the times we want to live in. I would be very happy to just 
live my life, raise a family, spend time with the grandkids, have a great blessed life, and then go home to see Jesus. That would suit me just fine. But I'm afraid that's not the time we've been born into, church. And we are here for such a time as this. In our scripture text, we read about this. Thinking it strange concerning this fiery trial which is to try you, as though it were something strange happening to us. In the United States, we do think that's strange sometimes, that bad things happen to God's people. The tire still goes flat. Still gets sick. We still die. We're not always blessed overtly for serving the Lord. What's the saying? No good deed goes unpunished. It seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? And yeah, there are some things that I am going to suffer for because I'm saying yes to Jesus. That's part of the price, folks. That's part of the price of serving Jesus. What price did Jesus pay for saying yes to me? He wasn't living the the blessed life, hanging on the cross, or was he? Maybe he was. When we look at this a little bit differently, when we look at persecution and test and trial differently, not through our flesh, not through our old nature, but through our regenerated nature, through our spiritual man, we see these things as blessings. When I go through a hard time, I learn dependence on Jesus. And folks, if I, need, if I need to learn that lesson, I need to learn it now more than ever. I need to learn to trust Jesus for everything. I need to learn to stand on His promises no matter what's going on out here. No matter what I'm feeling inside. No matter what I think is going on. I need to trust Jesus. And if he's got to put me in situations to make me do that, then so be it. But the time is coming, church. The time is coming where that's all we're going to be able to rely on is Jesus Christ. There are people in different countries. They can't, they can't publish a calendar. They can't put on their website what, what service times are. Whoever organizes it prays, and the people that are going to attend pray, and God speaks to them. And they get the, they get the times of the meeting right from the Holy Ghost. God does that? Yes, God does that. We've got to open our spiritual eyes. We've got to start seeing what God wants to do, what God is going to do through those who truly trust Him. There are people that, yeah, they'll trust Him for a time, 
but it's taking too long. I tried God. It didn't work. I want to try something else. It, I, I tried praying that one time, and it, it didn't work. So I'm going to try something else. Dude, really? Serious? And that's, that's a Christian speaking there. That's a Holy Ghost-filled, Jesus-name-baptized Christian. We're going to go through some things, but they're for a reason. They're for a purpose. We've got to. We've got to go through them. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That's a promise, too. That we'll be partakers of Christ's suffering. In the book of Acts, the first time the the apostles went before the, the Sanhedrin and were scourged and were commanded to not preach the name of Jesus, do you remember what their response was? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. They rejoiced. That's insane. That's crazy. Why would they do that? How far are we away from the the will and plan of God if we can't see that that is cause to rejoice? If we can't understand that suffering for the name of Jesus is a good thing, It's a good thing. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Happy are ye. But it's not fun to suffer persecution. It's hard. Nobody wants to be made fun of. Nobody wants to be laughed at. Worse yet, nobody wants to go to prison. Nobody wants to to get beat for any reason. That's a natural reaction, yeah? I don't want to sit here and everyone takes turns punching me in the mouth. Anyone want to line up after me? No takers. I didn't think so. Nobody wants that. But if we're doing it for Christ's sake, If we're suffering for Christ's sake, happy are we. Rejoice, he said, and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Rejoice and be glad. And as we suffer... We need to learn to commit ourselves, the keeping of our souls, to Him. Jesus Christ. For protection, not just physical, 
but that He keep our souls. He keep us thinking right. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Familiar passage of Scripture to most of us here. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. There's nothing worse in the kingdom of God than someone that can't make a choice. That's someone that can't choose a side. There's nothing worse. You talk to them, and they're frustrating. Wishy-washy, kind of eh, not really wanting to take a stand, not wanting to offend. I understand not being belligerent and not being a jerk. We ought not be that. But at the same time as Christians, we need to take a stand for righteousness and against sin. That is perfectly right to do. You're not being judgmental or closed-minded by doing that. You're being a child of God. You're reflecting His character. Jesus Himself is altogether righteous. Altogether holy. And so His people ought to be the same. Righteous. Holy. We ought to hate sin with every fiber of our being. Not the sinner. Okay, We never hate the sinner. Jesus loves the sinner. And so do we. But we despise the sin. Jesus hates sin. Because of what it does to you and me. It separates us from a holy and righteous God. It destroys His people. It destroys the people He loves. The people He created. The people He suffered on a cross and died for. Sin destroys it kills. I don't care how beautiful or glamorous it looks. I don't care how tempting it is just to, to sneak a little peek. Just to try a little. Stay away from it. It will destroy you. It will suck you in with a power you can't imagine. Don't play with it. Stay away from it. Hate it with every fiber of your being. And love righteousness. Love holiness with every fiber of your being. Go all in with this. Don't play with the world. Don't play with sin. The time is too short. Stay away from it. Run as hard as you can. You're not strong enough. You're not spiritual enough. I promise you. I don't care how much you pray and fast. You're not strong enough to play with sin. Get away from it. Take a stand. Take a stand for Jesus Christ. Do what it takes to win. Do what it takes to cross the finish line. Pay the price now. Pay it right now. Whatever He's asking, whatever He requires, pay it. Pay it gladly. You're going to pay it anyway.
the stuff that we enjoy, it's in a garbage heap in a year and a half. Just about all of it. You're going to throw it away in a year to, to five years. It's gone. It's a, it's a pile of rust. Shred it up. Use for something else. Don't put too much stock in this stuff. Be a good steward of it. Use it for God's purpose. But when it's gone, <laughs> don't mourn it. That's what it's designed to do, is leave. Put the bulk of your time into eternal things, into spiritual things, into prayer, fasting, studying the Word of God, working for Him, working for the Kingdom of God, doing what He is asking you to do. Do it with all your heart. Make that your one singular focus. Do it with everything you have. Pursue Jesus Christ with passion and with zeal and with fervency. Don't ever relent. Don't ever let up. He's worth it. The end of that path is worth it. Amen. In closing, revival is coming one way or the other. It's coming one way or the other. Either through active participation or God will bring it to us. I want to be as active as I can in this process. When God calls me home, I don't want anything left. As they say, leave it all on the field. Leave it all there. Expend all ammo. This fight, this warfare, it's real. And it's incessant. It's ever-present. And we're going to be a part of it until Jesus takes us home. Learn to, learn to fight well. Learn to fight effectively. You're going to fight. Someone's going to fight you. Are you going to fight back? Don't be a pushover. Don't be a spiritual <laughs> sloppy agape. <laughs> That's Jeff Arnold. <laughs> Take a stand. Make a choice. Pick a side. And pursue it with everything in you. The end is coming. Faster than we think. Let's do this right. Let's do it with everything in us. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. You're so very worthy of our worship and of our praise. You love us so very much. I will ever be thankful for your love, for the relationship that you've established with me. 
the fact that you sacrificed yourself on Calvary. That I could have a relationship with you. That I could spend eternity with you. That I could be free of the bondage of sin and death. That I could be adopted into your family. A child of the Most High God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You have done everything for me. You have given everything for my salvation. You have withheld nothing from me. From that point till this present moment. You have withheld nothing good from me. Help me, Lord Jesus, to reciprocate, to return in kind, to give everything to You, to lay it all on the altar for You to use as You will. Bless us as we go our separate ways in this season. Help us to rejoice in the fact that You came as a man, lived Your life amongst us, suffered on a cross and died for that very purpose. You were born to die. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so very much for being here tonight. Have a very Merry Christmas. Enjoy time with family and friends. Come back Sunday. We will be here Sunday for every service possible. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.